Let's remain standing as we turn to the preaching of God's Word. The text this morning comes from Galatians chapter 5 once more. So if you have your copy of the Word with you, I encourage you to open it and turn to Galatians chapter 5. And our, verse, our text this morning will be verses 22 and 23, but we're going to back up and begin reading at verse 16. Hear now the Word of the Lord. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresy, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the afflictions, with the affections and lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our heavenly and gracious Father, we're so very thankful that you have given to your people your Holy Spirit. You have preserved and given to us your Holy Word, and in that Word you have revealed who you are and what you require of us. You have given to us every precept and principle and provided the pattern of holy life that is pleasing in your sight. You ask nothing of us but what your grace has already given to us or enabled us to do. Your goodness and grace are boundless. And in light of this awareness, we can only respond with humility and thanksgiving. As we now turn to the preaching of your word and see the fruit of the Spirit, we ask that you and pray that for your Holy Spirit to attend both the preaching and the hearing and Fill us thereby with the grace of your truth and strengthen us in the new man to manifest ever more bountifully the fruit of the Spirit. And this we pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. By way of a quick review, last time when we were in Galatians, we considered the works of the flesh, noting that no person can be better outwardly than he is inwardly. That is to say that the unregenerate person may be able to hide for a time his evil desires, but eventually the indwelling sins will become manifest by some outward action or deed. And we, we considered each of the 17 works of the flesh that Paul lists in his letter to the Galatian churches in verses 19 through 21, and we listed them one by one, grouping them into four major categories, the sins of impurity, the sins of idolatry, the sins of indignation, and the sins of intemperance. And so by implication, Paul is instructing the church that failure to walk 
in the Spirit, to walk by the Spirit, and to be led of the Spirit, paves the way for the lust of the flesh. In an earlier message, we also considered that we can resist the Holy Spirit in at least three ways, and we we noted those as we, we can grieve the Holy Spirit, and we do this when we continue in our old ways, heed the desires of the old man, when we lie and deceive and harbor bitterness and anger and wrath. We also can quench the Holy Spirit and when we fail to heed the exhortations and warnings of Scripture, of, of our brother and sister or our shepherd, and we re, when we return evil for evil, we quench the Holy Spirit. And worst of all, the third way is when we despise and insult the Holy Spirit. And we do this by continuing to sin willfully, blatantly, and consciously without the slightest desire to repent or return to the Lord. And in doing so, we trample underfoot the Son of God and reject the work of Christ regarding the blood of the covenant. The blood which has set us apart. The blood which has sanctified us. And we treat it as something unclean. And this is the error of many today in the emergent church or the progressive church movement, if you're following that, when they deny penal substitutionary atonement and they call our Heavenly Father a cosmic child abuser. But there is no cosmic child abuse. Penal substitution is the supreme revolution, revelation of the glory of the Son of God. It is the clearest picture of the kind of God we serve. One who holds nothing back in order to redeem His children. In sending His Son to bear His wrath, the Father seeks the glory of the Son. If the cross is not the Son's bearing of God's judgment in His humanity, we have a Creator who refuses to glorify His Son to the highest degree. Jesus tells His disciples, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And he says, ye are my friends. In laying down his life for us, he loved us with the greatest possible love. This is no cosmic child abuse. This is love. And that brings us to the first attribute in this list of the fruit of the Spirit, In this message, as an outline, we will look at the the illustration Paul has given us here in his word and, and seek to better understand what he means by drawing for us a picture of the fruit of the Spirit, especially in contrast to the work or works of the flesh. Secondly, we will consider love as a summary of the fruit of the Spirit. And finally, we will take take each of these nine aspects of the fruit of the Spirit and look at the genuine fruit in turn and also at its imposters. So turning to our text this morning, beginning at verse 22, Paul begins this list of the fruit of the Spirit with the word but. And so we readily see that this list is in contrast to the prior works of the flesh. 
And we do need to take heed to see that contrast. But we've also come to expect from Paul, as he labors under the inspiration of the Spirit, to expound the truth of God's revelation. Something different. And so, instead of seeing the works of the flesh are in parallel and contrasted to the works of the Spirit are, as we might expect, we see the fruit of the Spirit is. There's a contrast between works and fruit. And also a contrast between the plural list of the works of the flesh and the singular fruit. Once again, we need to pay attention to the grammar and try to discern what is being revealed to the church in this instruction. First, note that works are volitional actions taken by the effort of man. Whereas fruit is the organic, spontaneous result of life in a plant or or perhaps more clearly seen in a tree. Works require performance. Fruit naturally happens. And its quality improves under wise cultivation. And I hope it comes as no surprise to anyone here that fruit is not assembled and manufactured by farmers, is it? No? Okay, children, you're going to have to nod your head or shake your head one way or the other. Get engaged here. Do, we, do farmers manufacture fruit? Do they, do they have a fruit factory where they assemble fruit and put it together? No. If I'm looking right at you, that means I expect a hint. Okay. All right. No. But if there were a factory that made fruit in that sort of way, I'm sure that the, such production would be different and not near as good as the fruit plucked from a tree. And recall that Jesus spoke of the kingdom in a very similar way, and He said, so is the kingdom of God, as if a man should cast seed into the ground and should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should spring up and grow up, and he knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, and then the ear, and after that the full corn in the ear. Fruit is the expected result of life, health, and nourishment. Works, by contrast, are the result of strife, toil, effort, and willpower. Rather than the particular actions of sin, such as adultery and anger and drunkenness, the fruit of the Spirit is seen as a list of attributes and character qualities. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. And each of these, in turn, determine our actions and our responses. And this strikes at the very heart of Paul's letter to the Galatians, does it not? Paul is countering the legalist false gospel which says that you need to get your life together. Adhere to the rules and the law. And the result is holiness. But this is completely backward. Paul says, if you are led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. But as you walk in the Spirit, that same Spirit produces fruit in your life which govern our actions and choices and which results in good works and true holiness. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. In other words, the Holy Spirit is the author of every true desire we have for holiness. The Holy Spirit is the source of the fruit, and so, as is right and good 
God receives all the glory. John said, a man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. He must increase, but I must decrease. Friend, if you find that you are boasting in any way, in your own righteousness, or feeling a sense of pride in your holy efforts, this is a false fruit and contrary to the work of the Holy Spirit. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, fruit is always the miraculous, the created. It is never the result of willing, but always of growth. The fruit of the Spirit is a gift of God, and only He can produce it. Don't take credit for what God and the Holy Spirit are doing in you. And so sticking with the agrarian, agrarian picture of, the, of a fruit tree, fruit is the seed and the offspring of the tree that produces it. It reveals the true character of the tree. Jesus said in Matthew 7.17, 7, Even so, every tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their, their fruits ye shall know them. Apart from the work of the Holy Spirit giving us life, we are barren trees. Jesus reveals Himself as the true vine in John 15 and the source of the life-giving Spirit that indwells us. He says, Abide in Me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in Me. Apart from the life-giving Holy Spirit, we are dead in our sins and trespasses and unable to bear fruit. If we buy into the notion that works righteousness is the way of life and true holiness, it is as if we were to take a knife out and, and carve off a part of this, this pulpit, this oak pulpit, and go dig a hole out there and plant that hunk of wood that we carved off this pulpit and plant it in the ground and expect it to spring up and grow to full maturity and cast acorns all across the lawn. Children, will this work? If I take a hunk of this wood and carve it off and go put it in the ground, will it, will it spring up? Children, I'm speaking to you. You're always my guinea pig, aren't you? If I take this pencil, Thomas, and I go plant it in the ground, will it grow up into a cedar tree? This is for you. <laughs> no. Okay. No, it's dead. It has no life in it. There's no sap flowing through that. There is no root. Life is a prerequisite for a tree to produce fruit. A dead tree can't produce fruit any more than a hunk of wood carved from a tree can. Fruit is born from living trees with living roots, drawing nourishment from the moisture of the soil. Where there is no root, there is no fruit. And before going any further, it's probably worth noting, especially in the age and culture in which we live, that the fruit of the Spirit is a grace and a gift that is manifest in the life of every Christian, regardless of their personality. 
fruit will be evident in the introvert as well as the extrovert. This spirit-produced fruit is given to those who are more thinking and to those who are more sensing. It is given whether you are more sanguine, choleric, melancholic, or phlegmatic. So we need to know that the melancholic Christian will also know joy as a fruit of the Spirit in full measure and without any qualification. So for the born-again, Spirit-indwelled Christian, the Holy Spirit will be producing the spiritual fruit that Paul describes here in our text, regardless of personality or temperament. And the first of these fruit is love, which I believe deserves particular attention as we consider this list. So let's look at love. Some have noted that if we look at this list of the fruit of the Spirit, the whole list can be summarized in the one attribute of love. And I think we can find some evidence for this in Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church. If we compare the list here to that well-known love chapter, chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. So let's go through that very quickly here. We find love suffers long and is kind. There we see long-suffering and gentleness. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up. There we find meekness. Love does not behave rudely and does not seek its own goodness and temperance. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. Joy is evident there. Love is not provoked, thinks no evil, bears all things. Peace. Love believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And we see aspects of faithfulness in that list. It might be fair to say then that the fruit of the Spirit is love. Love expressed by or made manifest in joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. It's almost as if these two passages are parallel and, and they're certainly complementary. Another way to look, is, look at this is that the fruit of the Spirit can be seen as a jewel with many facets. So as you consider it from one angle you see love. Or another angle, you see joy and peace and long-suffering. A single jewel displaying different beauty depending on the perspective you are focusing on or how the light hits it. But perhaps even better is to press the fruit analogy a little more literally. The fruit of the Spirit is, is like a piece of fruit with the wonderful spectrum of delicious taste that hit your palate all at once and yet you simultaneously can discern the sweet, the sour, the bitter, and the umami flavors, along with the floral esters and the grassy aldehydes and the peach-like lactones. So it really is rather reasonable then to imagine the fruit of the Spirit in a singular sense, but manifesting all nine of these attributes and characteristics. It is no surprise that love is found first in this list, Paul writes to the Galatian churches. Remember back in verse 14 of Galatians 5, Paul wrote, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And this is exactly what Jesus responded to the lawyer in Matthew 22, who, who asked, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus answered and said, what did he say? 
you remember, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Both commandments are love commandments. Love God and love your neighbor. This is the sum of the whole moral law. The first table of the law, commandments 1 through 4, love God. The second table, commandments 6 through 10, love your neighbor. In being led of the Spirit and in bearing the spiritual fruit of love, we are supernaturally enabled to become law keepers. Those who want to say that the law is no longer in view since we are under the royal law of love are missing the point. As the spiritual fruit of love is being borne out in our lives, we're no longer under the condemnation of the law, but rather we come to love the law rightly and are, and are made more and more able to keep the law. We're enabled to worship God rightly and reverence His name and keep His Sabbath when we love God with our whole hearts, souls, and minds. Those fleshly impulses of murder, adultery, theft, lying, and covetousness are subdued and put away when we love our neighbors as ourselves. And this completely comports with Paul's summary we find in Romans 13. Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth one another fulfilleth the whole law. And so now let's, let's work our way through this list in this third aspect, considering what is the definition of that characteristic in its genuine state and compare that with its counterfeit so that maybe we can understand it a little bit better. Um, and I think we can even do this in keeping with the agricultural analogy Paul is using here. Have you noticed, have you ever noticed, those of you who have put gardens in, that there are weeds in the garden that often appear very similar to the plants that you're attempting to grow. Now, if I'm out of line here, let me know. But if you know what I'm talking about, raise your hand. I'm going to, pr- okay, thank you. Okay. I'm going to press through with the analogy anyway. But I've always thought, found it fascinating that, that when you plant tomatoes, there's this weed that's, that's right there in the midst of the tomatoes that looks like a tomato plant. Sometimes it's a horse nettle with its little round fruit and tomato-like leaves that pop up right there alongside the tomatoes. And tansy thrives alongside and within your carrots, and it's almost indistinguishable. I see a nod of the head by the farmer on the back row. Burdock sneaks into your turnip greens and so on. And if I understand rightly, when, when we read the parable of the wheat and the tares, tares look very similar to the wheat in the field. And even the grains they produce are almost indistinguishable. But there is a difference. Those grains are bitter and can even be poisonous. And it's, it's, it's as if all of creation is echoing in general revelation the sounds of what we find in special revelation. So for every fruit, there is a weed that springs up. And, and if left unaddressed, it chokes out the fruit of the Spirit. So let's, let's kind of look at these aspects of the fruit of the Spirit with that in view. Love, we've already considered love as the summary of the fruit of the Spirit, so let's consider the counterfeit of love as 
as what we find in the works of the flesh. In the sins of impurity, adultery, and fornication and the like, we find the counterfeit of holy marital love. In the sins of idolatry, we see counterfeit of love that is due to God alone. In the sins of indignation, we see a manifestation of hatred and strife which are opposed to love. And in the sins of intemperance, we see drunkenness and reveling which are a form of self-centered love and are aberrations and perversions of the spirit-wrought fruit of love. As such, they are a lie and a counterfeit of the love that we are to bear in our fruit that the Spirit is working in our lives. Left unchecked, these counterfeits, these weeds grow up and take over and choke out. We could say they grieve and quench the work of the Spirit, the fruit-bearing work of the Spirit in our lives. Secondly, joy. Spiritual joy may be defined as a pure delight in God and His salvation for the sheer beauty and worth of who He is. It is resilient. It can be happy and glad, but it can also count it all joy when, when we fall into various trials, as we read in James. The weeds that threaten joy are sorrow, hopelessness, and despair. Sorrow often appears as self-pity and exposes the fact that we have a false basis for our security and joy. God does not always work as we want Him to. Our source of joy must be in God Himself and not merely the ways He's working in our lives at this particular moment in time. Ungodly sorrow is a form of practical atheism being manifest in our lives. It ignores God and His attributes. Hopelessness and despair take us beyond sorrow as they manifest a complete loss of a heavenly perspective. But as John Newton said, the Gospel makes the worst things bearable and the best things leavable. The Gospel leads us in the way of resilient joy, no matter the trials that our lives encounter. We are not to find our joy in circumstances. Circumstantial joy is a counterfeit to true spiritual joy. Circumstantial joy, when that is the only joy we know and desire, is like that plastic apple in the fruit bowl. It may look pretty and have the appearance of an apple, but there is no true nourishment found in it. <clears throat> peace. Spirit-given peace is evidence when we place our confidence and rest in the wisdom and sovereignty of God rather than in our own wisdom and sovereignty. It is a peace which surpasses all understanding and guards our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus as we approach the throne of grace through prayer and faith. Anxiety and worry are the weeds that pop up seeking to displace godly peace. They are a preoccupation with things of lesser importance and in the false confidence that, that if we would but give our attention to addressing the sources of anxiety and worry, life would move along smoothly. They're distractors. Anxiety and worry count lesser things more important than God and seeks to derive security from these things 
rather than from God Himself. A counterfeit form of peace is apathy. This is the I don't care or whatever attitude. Apathy is a way to produce what looks like peace, but is actually no peace at all. Some forms of pop psychology is an attempt to counterfeit the fruit of peace by giving us, getting us to stop caring about things beyond ourselves. And yet, and yet Jesus had peace and He could weep over Jerusalem. Long-suffering. Long-suffering, or, or patience as it is often translated, is the ability to endure trouble and trials in this life without being overcome or yielding to the flesh. It is a patient endurance under the injuries inflicted by others. Patience is a steadfast obedience to God despite pressure to deny Him. It is refusing to take the easy way out because Jesus never took the easy way out. The obvious weed that threatens to overtake long-suffering is impatience with God's timetable. Too often we find ourselves taking matters into our own hands rather than calling upon and waiting upon God. In our immediate gratification society, this weed is an ever-present threat. The counterfeit of long-suffering is an attempt to endure hardship through sheer willpower or by shutting off emotionally or, or simply bearing through a situation without looking to God for strength and thanking Him in the midst of this hardship. Perhaps even we are motivated by the praise of man and so our wrong motivation can corrupt our long-suffering. Christian patience and long-suffering are not some form of stoicism at work. It, it does not deny the reality of hardship, but it is the ability to trust God, though it may seem He has abandoned you. And gentleness. This is the manifestation of moral goodness, kindness, and integrity to all. It is often used to describe how God deals with us. In Romans 2.4 we read, or, or do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? And so we, if we look at the words behind our English translations, gentleness in the King James is the same word that is translated goodness in this passage the weed that is opposed to gentleness is selfishness rooted in pride. It is seeking our own because our selfish desires trump the needs of others. It is a heart that is without mercy because it has lost sight of what we have been forgiven. And the counterfeit of this type of gentleness is a kindness used to manipulate others. Good deeds that lead to self-congratulation and self-righteousness a kindness that quickly turns to hatred or resentment when it is not noticed or praised either by God or by other people. A good test for this counterfeit fruit in your life is to ask yourself, how do I feel when my good deeds don't seem to be appreciated? In goodness, this, this is an uprightness of heart and life. It is the virtue of beneficence. 
It is a genuine honesty and transparency being borne out consistently, consistently in our lives regardless of the situation. And the weed that comes in to displace goodness is phoniness and hypocrisy. It is being two-faced in the vain effort to keep everybody happy. A counterfeit version of this fruit is truth without love. That is the so-called courage of getting it off your chest for your own sake. Or perhaps love without truth, which is being loyal to someone when you should be willing to confront or challenge them. Faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. It is the conviction that God exists and is the Creator and Ruler of all things, the Provider and Bestower of our eternal salvation through Christ. The weed of unbelief takes root when we fail to walk in the Spirit. It begins with small doubts that left unchecked grow out of control. The wisdom of God is replaced with the wisdom of man. The object of our hope and faith shifts from Christ to some worldly philosophy. The spirit of the age displaces the spirit of truth. The counterfeit of false or false fruit of faith can manifest itself in a multitude of ways. Perhaps the greatest counterfeit we encounter within our circles is a tendency to manifest the appearance of faith by much speaking about the doctrines and theology found in Scripture apart from any genuine love and submission to the God of Scripture. God becomes the object of study and conversation and not the love and Lord of our lives when this counterfeit fruit is ruling. And, it, and this, I believe, is one of the most destructive forms of hypocrisy and false fruit we find in the church. It destroys relationships. It destroys marriages. And it undermines the faith of our children. Meekness. Meekness is the very manner of gentleness. It is deeply rooted character motivated in love. Meekness eschews harshness, defensiveness, and a brawling approach to life. Especially as we appeal to a brother or sister in Christ. It is the strength of conviction, but bridled and under the control of the Spirit. And the ugly weed that comes in and displaces meekness is a self-preserving harshness when we are thrust into the need to confront a matter with someone. It is impetuous, prone to outburst of temper, and unwilling to yield with patient godliness that leads to restoration and repentance. The counterfeit form of meekness is put on display as inferiority or letting people walk all over you as the expression goes. It is false modesty, self-deprecation, and a spineless refusal to stand for anything, thinking that in doing so, we are loving and being holy. And finally, temperance or self-control is often translated. This is the ability to choose the important thing over the urgent thing. It is the ability to choose the glory of God over the desires of the sinful nature that comes from an inner strength produced by the Gospel and being led of the Spirit. 
The weed that we need to be aware of is that of being driven, impulsive, and an uncontrolled person. Having no aim in life, no ability to stay focused, no inner strength to choose what is good over what is evil, or choose what is best over a lesser good. Spiritual, in, spiritual temperance requires knowledge of what God has revealed in His Word, and apart from which we will default, default to self-will and worldly wisdom, and soon find that we are merely doing what seems good and right in our own eyes. John Owen wrote of the counterfeit of temperance as the mortification from a self-strength, carried on in carried on by ways of self-invention unto the end of a self-righteousness and is the soul and substance of all false religions in the world. Pick any other religion in the world and you will find this counterfeit at work. But it doesn't work. It often invites greater temptations and challenges it is like the unclean spirit that returns to the man in Luke chapter 11 where Jesus explains when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finding none. He says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it swept and put in order. And I add parenthetically, put in order apart from the work and indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. He finds it swept and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits, more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. So let's consider once again the list here of the fruit of the Spirit, this time from the New King James, as the translated terms are a bit more familiar. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What can possibly be said against this list that is in any way critical or demeaning? How can any coherent system of thought or philosophy speak against this list? I know that we live in a tumultuous time and can probably pretty readily find some wicked and incoherent philosophy or teaching it would deny the goodness of this list, but it would necessarily be incoherent and inconsistent. Therefore, Paul concludes the list of the fruit of the Spirit with, against such, there is no law. And I would like to close then with considering this one question. Why does the Spirit produce this fruit in us? And I think the answer to that question can be seen in at least three ways. First, the Holy Spirit is a deposit given to believers in Christ that guarantees our relationship with Christ. It is the earnest of our inheritance, as the King James puts it in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. And as we look at the fruit of the Spirit, we can examine ourselves and see if we find any evidence of genuine fruit and thereby know that we are in Christ and He is in us. And as we do this, we should not count any false fruit we find, but keep the works of the flesh in view as well. The spiritually sensitive among us, the, that type of person will tend to be discouraged in this exercise and declare that the fruit he sees is poor and not good for much. But he needs to remember, she needs to remember, 
that it is nonetheless genuine fruit. The proud, on the other hand, will be prone to overlook the weeds and take into account counterfeit fruit. And the exhortation to him is not to be deceived. God looks on the heart and is the one who produces the fruit. Always, always, always be eager to repent and willing to consider how the gospel is at work in your life and ready to believe the gospel afresh. Secondly, the fruit of the Spirit is the food that nourishes our lives in the context of the one another's. Consider the list one more time. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All of these require someone else in order to be expressed. We don't find a full expression of any of these virtues in solitude. Where you encounter a struggling church, you will also find an anemic manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit, I believe. We cultivate the fruit of the Spirit as we faithfully exercise ourselves in the means of grace that God has given to the church. And the church, therefore, must be a true church. But what is a true church? Rather than summarize it in my own words, turning to Article 29 of the Belgic Confession, which succinctly summarizes this definition, the historic marks of a true church, the marks by which the true church is known are these. If the pure doctrine of the gospel is preached therein, if it maintains the pure administration of the sacraments as instituted by Christ, if church discipline is exercised in punishing sin. Where we find a church practicing these, we find the marks of a true church. And this is also where we should expect to find the fruit of the Spirit nourishing her members. And thirdly, we're given the fruit of the Spirit as a testimony to Christ in our lives. Jesus said, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And as we have already seen, love is the first on the list of the fruit of the Spirit and is at the very heart of the summary of the law and the prophets. So as the Holy Spirit works the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, it is a testimony to our Creator and to our Lord, and it is put on display to the praise of the glory of His grace, and it's active and living and growing in our lives. Let us therefore desire the goodness of the fruit of the Spirit and yield to the leading of the Spirit. Let us be faithfully found walking in the Spirit as we partake in faith day by day and week by week in all the means of God's glorious grace. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we give You all thanks and glory and honor for the mighty work of Your Holy Spirit in the lives of Your people. Lead us, we pray, by Your Holy Spirit and make us fruitful in Your kingdom according to Your perfect purposes. Keep us safely in Your tender care and deliver us from the evil one. Send the Gospel, O Lord, to every corner of the earth and grow Your church and defeat all Your enemies for Your great name's sake. 
This we pray. For the glory of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.